Welcome to the Kupinga Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinwart. I'm an analyst and advisor at Kupinga Coal Analysts. My guest today is again, and I'm really happy to have him again, is Alexei Balaganski. He is a lead analyst with Kupinga Coal, focusing on cybersecurity and so much more. And our topic today is something that we actually already covered in earlier episodes. And we want to talk about zero trust. We've identified zero trust as one of the key architecture paradigms when it comes to securing future networks um, based on the assumption that every network that you're on is hostile, including your corporate network, if one still exists. And many analysts, many companies, many vendors, but also many end user organizations agree that this is somehow the future. But if this is the case, Alexei, why is it that there are so little implementations already visible to us as analysts and actually outside there in the in the wild? Why are there so not so many implementations available right now? Oh, first of all, hello, Matthias. I'm also glad to uh, be uh, on your podcast again. Thanks for having me. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We have talked about uh, zero trust uh, so many times, talked and written and published uh, reports and videos. And everybody agrees that zero trust is the future. Zero trust is a great concept. It's a great architectural uh, design, which supposed to dramatically decrease the complexity of your IT infrastructure. So it's supposed to be easier, more manageable, more convenient for users, basically, It's nearly perfect in every regard, and yet so few companies actually manage to implement it. And the question is, uh, yeah, what are the challenges? Or what are the obstacles on this journey? Because we have talked so many times again that uh, Zero Trust is a journey. It's not a product. It's not a, a rip and replace uh, thing. You just buy and deploy once. You have to approach it uh, strategically step by step. But why are so many companies not even making the first step on the journey? Obviously, there is something wrong in their IT postures, I would say. The question is what? And I would argue that obviously there are some uh, things uh, which are related to technology, that dreaded technical debt everyone is talking about. So if your company has some legacy mainframes or decade old technologies, especially if uh, if it's focused on like manufacturing processes or maybe embedded devices or just some really old stuff in your basement. Yeah, those are unable to be adapted to the zero trust model directly. So this is obviously a challenge, but is it uh, a challenge which cannot be solved? Probably not. I mean, we have seen so many solutions uh, which basically implement uh, an identity aware wrapper around any type of networking devices. And they control the traffic, they encrypt the traffic for the device if it cannot do it itself, they enforce identity-related policies, and so on. So it's, it's workable, it's, it's possible to implement. So that's probably not the biggest challenge. The second thing I've actually uh, find slightly amusing myself because I've heard it uh, discussed a few times, that there are some technologies which are basically even I would say some technological trends which go directly against the zero trust model. That is everything decentralized. 
we've probably talked a lot about decentralized identities, decentralized networking, like peer-to-peer protocols, uh, service meshes uh, in microservice architectures and so on. And allegedly, uh, if it's decentralized, there should not be a central policy enforcement in such type of a network. So it goes against the grain for zero trust architectures. Again, I'm not sure I am buying this uh, argument because you don't have to make everything decentralized, right? And of course, on top of every, let's say, networking layer, you can build another layer. Because, I mean, even though decade-old networks already are comprised uh, like seven, or how many layers do we have in the OSI model? Why not add another one to solve the problem? So my argument would be that it's actually in the digital transformation itself that is to blame. There are simply too many things uh, a modern business has to worry about. Cloud adoption, mobile devices, work from home, or this whole pandemic challenges. So for those businesses kind of uh, adopting a completely new architecture becomes a very low priority, right? And of course, the further challenge is like, who is supposed to drive this adoption? Yeah, I think that is one of the most important things. But to go back to your to your latter point, I would also agree that this is not really a, a application protocol, application communication issue. And as you said, um, we, we, are, we try to secure the interconnectivity between devices and services. The kind of service that runs on top of this should not have, at least in my opinion should not have any influence on the actual security of the underlying infrastructure. I don't think that is an unsolvable uh, problem. What, what you've mentioned right now, that is what I think is really of importance. We need to have a clear ownership within an organization and maybe also within a group of organizations to, to move forward towards zero trust. And that goes hand in hand, I think, with a phased approach. You've mentioned the digitalization. So um, many of uh, the customers, many of our workforce are currently working from an unsecured network. So this is actually the reason why we do have zero trust infrastructure in place, because we are working across untrusted, potentially hostile networks. And we need to make sure that the actual connection, the interconnectivity, and on top of that, the, the access is, is well maintained. So there is a good reason to start there, for example. So the digital transformation, when it's done right, might be a, a driver in that situation. And then you can grow from that into the enterprise network and really get rid of that in the end. But Having a phased approach, having a clear ownership for this process, I think that is key. Would you agree? Well, this is exactly the problem because there is, uh, or I would say in most companies nowadays, there is no single point of ownership for this whole zero trust idea. And again, the problem is that different uh, teams, different stakeholders have totally different understanding on what zero trust actually means. Yes, as you just mentioned, Working from a hostile network, and we are basically all locked at home, especially uh, at least here in Germany, we have this whole uh, month of lockdown. We are all working from an untrusted network. So if there is a small consolation about this whole pandemic uh, story, that yeah, more people now understand 
the problem. And more people understand that they have to invest more, they have to focus more on uh, that quote-unquote zero-trust networking issue. The problem is that uh, zero-trust networking is not zero-trust as a whole, right? It's just one component of the, of the big, big picture. And even if you manage to, let's say, persuade your network security team if you have a, a, a relatively large company, you probably have a dedicated network security team, or at least a security team in general. If you manage to persuade them that this is an important thing to implement now, or you still have to deal with, I don't know, like developers who have totally different priorities. You have to talk to a line of business or, or manufacturing teams, probably. They have absolutely different priorities and they are not really interested in whatever ripping and replacing their existing OT network with some suspicious new technology. So how do you make those teams talk to each other? How do you make them agree on this phased approach? Because everyone would have their own ideas. So you have to have a, a king, you have to have a general, so to say, a single person uh, with appropriate business and uh, operational privileges, if you will, the rights, executive power to make this happen. Yeah, I think that is an issue that is actually not only or not really a zero trust um, issue, but that is really getting to adequate organizational paradigms within larger organizations and making sure that you have the right level of control. You said a king, um, a master of all. Uh, on the other hand, we need to have the right amount of autonomy for the individual teams while things stay well-aligned and well-communicated and following this central paradigm. And this is something that we see in many areas just right now. We see it when we work in, in larger projects, think cybersecurity, think identity and access management. But we also see that when it comes to terms like the digital transformation, which also means something different depending on whom you talk to within an organization. And zero trust is no exception from the rule here. So there needs to be, on the one hand, control, policies, rules, guidelines across the board. And on the other hand, there needs to be a way to, to have a phased approach, to have autonomy within the individual organizational units, to get together towards a common goal, but every department, every organizational unit, every line of business at their own pace. Well, that's uh, exactly the challenge because autonomy uh, only uh, works properly in a bigger company if it's coordinated across those different teams, right? So even if you have a, a benevolent master, so to say, who does not enforce any Uh, centrally kind of managed policies, uh, it still has to be a centrally managed uh, strategy, if you will, guidance and architecture design. And within that uh, central guidance, individual teams uh, with their individual requirements and technologies and application stacks and whatever you name, they would have the autonomy to work towards the same goal. And unfortunately, as, as we can see, or uh, well, in theory, this is how the democracy is supposed to work. In reality, it doesn't. So there has to be some kind of a, really a balance between the quote-unquote free market of IT uh, and business uh, goals and the, again, quote-unquote government uh, oversight and intervention. 
we as analysts or we as tech guys, we, we tend to see the option or the opportunity that technology can help solving problems that society slash organizations cannot solve. Um, as we are talking about zero trust, we understand that this is not just a single technology, it's a paradigm. No, but independent of that, can we think of standards of products of um, overall architecture concepts that can help in getting there and so is there a standardization a category of products that is uh, available and can help in integrating in in unifying in getting to integrated uh, solutions so that there is a natural way by technology by standards avoiding the organizational and the political and the yeah the human factor well i believe to an extent uh, there are some technologies i would even uh, say there are some existing and almost traditional security-focused technologies which can greatly help you adopt zero trust in a somewhat even a kind of unexpected way. For example, very few companies would probably start thinking about zero trust in terms of their data and users, right? Because everyone is talking about zero trust for networking, everyone is talking about zero trust for policy enforcement, which is all paramountly important, but you have to start a little bit smaller. You cannot protect what you do not see, right? I mean, there's this like the adage which has been repeated thousands of times. So you have to start with knowing what kind of sensitive data you have and where. So data discovery and classification should be like the step number zero in any zero trust journey. You have to deal with your identities. So if you do not have a reliable identity management in place, which not only covers your employees, but also the external contractors, partners, maybe even customers, if they are involved somehow in your business processes. Without those basics, uh, you won't be able to even uh, begin your zero trust journey. Right, I would fully agree. And um, on the other hand, as you said, data-centric security is really an important factor because then you protect what actually needs to be protected, so it's data. On the other hand, uh, I think integration and, and standardization and getting to a holistic approach by including also most of what is already there. So think of VPNs, firewall, the, the MFA tool that you have already in place, the device management, um, whatever you already have, using that, leveraging that for getting to a first incarnation of a zero trust architecture within an organization, at least for specific aspects within the organization. I think that is something that on the one hand builds upon existing infrastructure, but adds additional value when it comes to adding this zero trust paradigm to existing security infrastructure. If we think of this NIST picture, defining policies and enforcing them afterwards, I think for every organization, it would be also a good starting point to leave technology aside and think policies to think of how access actually should look like. So making the groundwork, the homework first. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, with every type of policy, you do not start with the technology, you start with the actual meaning behind it, whether it's a business uh, purpose or a compliance requirement or security control. I mean, policies always start as uh, basically writings on paper. 
And only then you can uh, start thinking about how to translate those writings into uh, IT-related controls. And you may even have some of those controls already in place. Like if you have a privileged access management solution for your admins, you can absolutely reuse the same technology, just expand it to other types of users because your CFO might now be a much more privileged person in your company than any root or domain administrator because uh, that CFO has the power to drain your company bank account with a single mouse click, right? So if you expand the privileged access management to your CFO, it might not even, uh, any uh, of those technologies might not even mention zero trust in their names or descriptions, but it would be a huge step towards the same goal. Right, and, and then this leads us at the end of our discussion to th three aspects that I think are really worth thinking of. We, you've mentioned we have to discover and identify and classify what we want to protect. So this is data. We talked about policies and um, how we can write down in words how access actually should look like and how it should be governed. And we've talked about standards and existing technologies to be integrated into a, a bigger picture of security. So in the end, this all leads all of us and all organizations back to yeah, defining, first of all, what you actually want to have. And in the end, it's in the end, it's all risk management, don't you think? Well, yes. I mean, it's not only risk management, but yeah, you, you start with your business goal. You then kind of continue with an inventory of what you actually have to protect and whom do you already have to implement this protection, for example. And then you start continue by uh, identifying your risks uh, and uh, assigning tasks to your people, so to say. And again, you have to have someone on top to oversee this whole process. Because uh, unfortunately, uh, in real life, the herd psychology doesn't work. You have to enforce those uh, regulations from a single point of responsibility, if you will. Right. Yeah, I would fully agree. So organization would be another dimension to add to the list that I just mentioned before. So this was a more philosophical episode of this podcast. If people want to learn more about this shiny new concept of zero trust, and you've mentioned that, that we have already put out some material, what would be your recommendations to start with when visiting coopingacole.com? What to read when it comes to... Yeah, having zero trust as that shiny new goal to implement to protect the crown jewels of your organizations. Well, uh, to be honest, I probably won't be able to name you the exact numbers of our research papers are out of the top of my head now. But uh, one important thing is to, whether you visit our website or NIST website or any other resource on the internet, you should not focus on technologies. You should focus on those organizational challenges, architectural approaches, concepts, and so on. Again, zero trust is not a product. Zero trust is not a tool. It's not even the goal, right? It's basically uh, the way how you organize your team to work together towards a relevant business goal. And you have to formulate that business goal for you first, because that alone defines uh, your further steps on that journey. Right. And if 
you as the audience are interested in learning more about that. You've mentioned, uh, Alex, the, the NIST Zero Trust architecture. That is a, a good starting point. If you want to start that journey at kupingacol.com, it's really just that simple that you type in Zero Trust into our search engine on the start page of our website, kupingacol.com. And to continue from there, and if there are any open questions regarding organization, regarding requirements, regarding support in defining your policies, your policy framework, and prioritizing your requirements and changing over time your security portfolio, please don't hesitate to get in touch with Alexei or me or just uh, info at kuppingercall.com. We are happy to help and lead a first discussion just by phone. Uh, so get in touch. So that's it for today. That was a really interesting one, Alexei. Thank you very much for being here today. Well, thank you, Matthias, for inviting me. I'm looking forward to a potential next episode together. Right, and maybe even more philosophical than this one. Thank you again, and bye-bye. Bye-bye.